0: You are listening to the Savage Wonder Podcast. This show is a long-form one-on-one conversation with a veteran in the arts. This show is produced by Veterans Repertory Theater, which is a 501c3 tax-exempt organization, providing a platform for talented veterans to create compelling live theater and events in order to enhance enliven, and invigorate American theater and the live performance arts. My guest this week was screenwriter Stephen Camelio, who is the son of a Vietnam-era veteran. I think I'm right in saying, I haven't listened to the episode, but I think I'm right in saying that his father died due to complications from Agent Orange. Um, I'm sorry, Stephen, if I misstated that, but I think that's that's accurate. Um, and Stephen wrote uh, his first movie that has gotten produced was the movie Mending the Line, which is currently seeking distribution. I'm pretty sure it'll get it because it's got a lot of backing from... DOD, and from the fly fishing community, which is a very connected and uh, influential community. And uh, and it's a great flick. So I feel very, fairly confident that it'll be coming to some platform, theater, what have you, near you at some point in the dangerously near future. So I was thrilled that I could sit down and talk with Stephen now um, before it comes out and kind of give it a little bit of a buzz. He is a um, such a great... Dude, uh, very humble and very team-oriented when he talks about his work. And uh, I appreciated that a lot. Um, it's, there seems to be a humility that I think probably has served him well as a writer. Um, we talk a lot about the integrity with which he writes his military characters and how that seems to have lent itself to him probably writing more military-themed stories in the future. And I think that's because of uh, a humility to listen and to hear the the cadence in someone's speech or the semantics or the word choice or um you know the rhythm with which somebody speaks so um so it's a real pleasure to sit down talk with him stevens had uh you know an awfully um pedigreed writing past um you know he studied at queen's queen's college in ireland um he studied at oxford studied at trinity college in dublin um he worked as a journalist as an editor at in style magazine he wrote for espn the magazine he wrote for um field and stream and uh what am i forgetting entertainment weekly a bunch of other places so he was a very accomplished journalist very accomplished writer um and we talk about how he got into screenwriting and um now this is his first film that's out which is also very cool Uh, He was more than just a writer. There's plenty of jokes and anybody that knows the film industry, even a little bit knows that screenwriters are very much the low men on the totem pole and low women on the totem pole for that matter uh, in the film industry. Uh, You know, the Robert Altman movie, the player was all about screenwriters feeling used and abused. Uh, But in this case, Steven was the, uh, you know, he, he was a legit producer on this film I mean really, this was his labor of love to champion the film, to push the film to write it, author it, and then advocate for it until it could be produced at a higher level. and he did that for years, um you know, whatever it was, five, six plus years um pushing that that boulder up the mountain until he could get it produced at a really you know quality level. <clears throat> so uh, it was great to be able to talk to him about that uh, adventure and what that's like, what that entails. Um, Cause there's nothing quite as grueling I think as, as the film industry and in showbiz. That's a very particular nut to crack. So the fact that he's done it now and has another film that he actually wrote beforehand, but coming out later um, is another feather in his cap. So it's, it's funny, you know, it's, you know, there's nothing, what's the saying? There's a nothing takes so long as an overnight success, you know, and that certainly seems to have been true in his case. Anyway, it's a great conversation. Um, we don't get enough film and TV folks on the show, mostly because I don't live in LA anymore. <laughs> so there I could just throw something out the window and I'd hit somebody in film or TV. Now it's a little bit tougher. But uh, But anyway, this is a great opportunity to talk to somebody um, in the film industry and uh, yeah, see how the sausage is made. And hear about a really, very cool veteran-themed movie coming out and brace for more. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, I'm the Artistic Director of Veterans Repertory Theater, and this is the Savage Wonder of Stephen Camelio. All right, welcome to the show,
1: Stephen. Hey, thank you. Uh, Pleasure to be here.
0: Dude, it's great to have you on. Um, First off, congrats. On mending the line, um, what a great film! Are you? How proud are you? I can't. I got to imagine it's a huge <laughs> sense of accomplishment to have it out there.
1: Oh yeah, it, it's it feels great, and um, you know, it's a little uh, it's a little scary as well. You know, when you put a lot of effort into something, but uh, it's been a long journey, and for people to actually get to see it, it, it means the world to me.
0: How has it been at screenings for you? Are you kind of like? you know, teeth on edge, kind of nervous, just tensed up watching people's reactions, or are you able to relax and enjoy it?
1: I certainly can't relax. Uh, I can enjoy parts of it. Um, You know, certainly, um, you know, seeing the actors do their thing and, um, you know, some of the stuff that Josh did that, you know, I would have never thought of um, that, you know, he brings to the project. And then, I mean, everybody brings a little bit just um, from the wardrobe to the art, um, you know, everybody brought all this stuff that, wasn't in the script um sure. but and sort of put their own stamp on it so i love to see that stuff but you know see it having my writing being read by these people is amazing but it's also a little nerve-wracking and um you know what what are people going to think you know oh right. i wish i wish that that one word wasn't in there or something like that <laughs> right but right as a as a writer you know you, you know it's it's just the the nature of the the job
0: Well, I was going to say, because you're never really finished, right? Kind of directors and writers, you're never really done with the project. You feel like you could always be doing more, don't you?
1: Oh, yeah. And obviously, I see little things that we could go back and edit. Or, or, you know, like I said, stuff I would change with the script now. And seeing what Josh is able to do and the actors are able to do, like – you, you don't know that when you're writing it that they're going to be able to you know pull off something with such a uh, you know a quick look or yeah, um, yeah. just how they stand you know Brian with how he stands or how he twinkles an eye or something like that right. um so you you put some extra stuff in the in the in the script that you know maybe it doesn't need to be there but um and a lot of that stuff they know um doesn't need to be there and they'll just cut it out on the day and like they can I can say that you know right. with, a, with a look or a nod or a you know, move of the hand. So um, they're they're so great at stuff like that.
0: Was this the first script that you had written? First film script you'd written? Uh, it wasn't the first
1: uh, script I'd written. It was the first one I've written by myself. I started okay. off um, in New York City writing with a uh, a friend of mine who was a phenomenal actor named Brian Blatstein, and and we. He wanted to sort of find something to star in. He was doing a lot of off-Broadway stuff and and NY, um, NYPD Blue, you know, sort of that that New York actor's racket of, mm-hmm. of C, uh, CSI, or not CSI. Law and Order. Uh, law and Order. Yes, all the he, Law and yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he did all that, and he was kind of looking for a bigger role. And um, so we started writing together, and um, we wrote a script that got us an agent, um, or the, the script got an agent. We weren't really repped by him, but... Uh, um, then we wrote a couple other things together, but um when I moved out west, we sort of it was just hard to to work together. Um, sure, you know, Um, so I kind of went off on my own. And he's kind of gone off on his own.
0: Well, the the reason I ask is because I was wondering how much you felt that the script maybe was overwritten before it got to production, and then they had to cut you know dialogue out or whatever. I feel like that's a necessary evil with any script is that you got to overwrite it because it isn't on screen yet. And you got to establish the blueprint for people, right?
1: Yeah, there was definitely some of that. Um, Josh came in and, um, you know, he th- just from a logistical perspective, like being a director, I'd never directed anything. Mm-hmm. I'd never been on set of anything. Wow. So yeah. um, he, he just was like, oh, we don't need this. We don't need this. Can we combine this? Um, you know, that would make things, you know, save us $10,000 if we can d- combine these two scenes. You yeah, know, or yeah, s- yeah. Save us a setup on the day. You know which would save money um and save time and so he would he, he just had a you know tremendous eye for stuff like that um so yeah there was certainly stuff that that got cut out and you know I wrote this ages ago and things change and and I put in a lot of stuff about Montana so that people were reading it like you know specific places specific mm-hmm. um you know not even interiors, exteriors that you know were specific to the area that I only knew about and I knew people who were reading it wouldn't had never been here would in the but when we we didn't need that once we got here when we were shooting it because we you know we had our location You're so there. we cut all yeah. yeah yeah we cut all that out so yeah definitely trimmed a lot and, and made it easier for Josh and the team to to jump in and
0: um, create it really. How involved were you with the with the entire production? So once it all got underway were you there in the editing room? Were you on set every day? What was your battle rhythm like just going through the production?
1: Yeah, I was there every day. I was a producer on the film. I got the grant from the the state that really pushed things over the top to get the 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 ball rolling. Uh that brought on uh Kelly McKendry, one of our producers. Then we brought on another producer Scott McLeod, who's a veteran, and then um Carl Effenson, another producer came on and um with them on board, we were able to go out and, and find Josh. So, um and then mm. I, I set up a lot of the partnerships with the fishing organizations, oh, as well wow. as with Warriors and Quiet Waters,
0: um, who we can talk about a little yeah. bit, but, you know, there. Well, so enough. you earned that producer credit. That was, not, that was not, <laughs> that was not given to you. That was, that was truly earned.
1: I think so. Yeah. I, I yeah. mean, um, I helped bring on a lot, uh, some of the, a lot of the local crew and yes, I was there every day, um, you know, in terms of the filmmaking help. I, I don't think I was a ton of help. You know, Josh knew where to put the lights and, you know, the crew knew where to do their job. So I didn't really mess with that. But in terms of like, you know, hey, is this is this true to Montana? Is this true to fly fishing? Mm-hmm. Uh, which thankfully, Josh is, a, you know, a great fly fisherman. So he he didn't need a lot of that. But um you know, just just to be there and bring an authenticity to the story, uh, you know, since I wrote it and, you know, I live here um, and I I set it in these places. Um, you know, I think that that was helpful and I hope was helpful in some respects.
0: Did you have to do any rewrites during production? Were you at all tasked with any writing or anything like that? Or was it really just up to Josh to make cuts and the actors at that point?
1: Yeah, it was mostly Josh and the actors finding stuff that worked on the day. Um, you know, there's a scene where, um, uh, Perry and Sinqua have like a, a real heart to heart and they made that their own, you know, obviously it was written in the script as, you know, get them from point A to point B, but on the day of, they kind of, you know, in between those two points, they, they really made it their own. Um, and there were maybe one or two scenes that Josh is like, Hey, you want to do a quick cleanup on this? Cause you know, maybe the, um, the location changed or the, um, you know, something we, we had changed something before that. So we needed to change this a little bit, but other than that, you know, there were just a couple of quick tweaks that, that maybe Josh would do on the day, like maybe cut a line, add a line or something mm-hmm. like that, which, you know, he was tracking it, um, and knew what knew what had happened the day before. It was going to happen the day after. So, um, you know, he really, um, kind of controlled that at that point.
0: What was, um, what was the first time you actually saw a rough cut or the final cut? Were you there in the editing room? Did you get a lot of sneak peeks at it or did it kind of hit you where Josh was like, Hey, it's done. Take a look. And and you're kind of blindsided and like, Oh my God, it's all up there.
1: I wasn't blindsided. I I was obviously as a producer, I was uh, knew what was going on in editing. I was not there. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, and then I did get to see a rough cut that was, substantially longer than the the finished film and um you know it was it was i was obviously blown away by seeing this thing that i had you know had in my mind for so long seeing it you know on the screen and um seeing again the amazing work that that everybody had done and all the hard work that they had put in um come come to life you know it's it's and it was my first time really seeing a rough cut so like Um, I don't know you know if you if you don't know the color is not all the same on each shot there's no there's no music the sound is a little iffy here and there or there is there's no special effects you know so like that was a little like oh, this is kind of, you know, not exactly jarring. But you, yeah, yeah, a little jarring. But then you can also see like, oh, when this takes, you know, gets all put together in the right right way and, and trimmed up, it it's going to be really cool. So it was it was a good mix of like, um, whoa, you know, uh, I guess a reality check, but also like, uh, you know, very exciting to see like, this is going to be a real movie.
0: Well, totally. I guess that would be weird because it's like it doesn't have that total real movie feel yet without the color correct and the sound effects and or, and all that special effects and all that stuff. Um, yeah, that seems like there'd be some cognitive dissonance. Like, I think this is going to be a real movie. Right. But this might also just look janky. Right. Is there any nervousness like that? Or were you like, no, 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 this is this is normal. Were you comfortable enough with the medium? To to get what was going. Um,
1: I mean, I I understood what you know what was happening, but I wasn't at um, the shoot at at Camp Pendleton because of some family stuff. So to see that was like, oh my gosh, we have real Marines, we have real <laughs> Humvees, we have real you know was was incredible. But then also to see it without you know the explode you know the sound of the explosions <laughs> and all that, right. and like some of the radio stuff wasn't in there, so it was a little like, okay, I hope this is going to work because if not, the Marines are going to kill us. so um but it was exciting
0: so i let's let's back up and and talk about where it came from when did you write it originally how long ago
1: uh it's probably close to 10 years ago now um so as i've said before it's 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 inspired in part by my dad who uh served in vietnam and then uh he, he volunteered after he graduated from college, he volunteered to go and uh, went through OCS and, and went to v- Vietnam. Right about, got there right about Tet during oh, wow. the Tet Offensive. Um, yeah. Yeah, so was there for a, almost uh, almost his whole tour. Came home a little early because my grandmother um, got really sick and passed away. Um, and we have actually tapes of him. He sent real to reel tapes home. So my um, grandmother and his family could listen to you know this is what I'm doing this is what it looks like, wow. um, and he talks about staying in and making the army his career, and then you know that's like the last tape, and then he comes home and he never goes back, and then about forty years later he real he finds out he, um, I think I think it was pain in his knee uh, he 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 was running. He collapsed, um, had some pain in his chest, and then in his knee, found out he had cancer, which they trace back to Agent Orange exposure. And um, so he went through 10, about 10 plus years of treatment and all that until he passed away um, about 10 years ago. And so when he was going through all that, I started, you know, we had talked about the war and basically the only ever, thing he ever said it was the best thing and the worst thing he ever did mm-hmm. was was basically join the army um which you know i was never i never served so i always kind of took his word for it we, we he had some um slide we used to show slides on the wall he'd take pictures of us and our cousins and stuff and he'd show slides and, and one of the slide reels was all his pictures from vietnam you know monkeys and beaches and and stuff like that and there were a couple of like installations on hills that had been cleared probably uh napalm or yeah. um you know agent orange or something um they cleared it and then he was in the 518th signal corps so they would go up to these places and um set up all the radio strategic communications and stuff like that um which I didn't really know at the time and uh, he never talked about but I've kind of figured out um you know, since he's passed away, I connected with some of the guys he served with and, um, and I found out sort of what they did and where they were. So they would go up there and then they come back to the Trang and stay basically at the base there and, um, then go back up during the day. And so they didn't see a ton of action, but you know, they, you know, any, when you're flying in a helicopter or doing anything, there's, there's some danger involved. And obviously during Tet, they got hit, um, at the airfield there and, and stuff like that. Um, so anyway, yeah, so he went through the whole VA. The VA was great to him, as was Yale. He was in Connecticut Yale Hospital. Mm-hmm. They they took great care of him. And um, so I got to see that process a little bit. And I was living I had moved from New York City where I was working as a editor at In Style Magazine. Right. Um, and I'm like gonna that. ask
0: about that shortly. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was I was backing up to that, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I was doing a lot of freelance writing, and obviously, you know, I'm a writer um by trade. Um, so I kind of was living in Montana and in Yellowstone National Park, and doing a lot of fly fishing. And I'd um, heard about the healing effects of fly fishing, um, mostly in terms of um, breast cancer. I'd heard mm. about those the women doing retreats um, and people using it um, for sort of more mental um, treatment. You know, sort of clear their mind. People dealing with a lot of stress and stuff like that. So I, I'm like, oh, you know, that'd be an interesting story of a guy, you know, dealing with, you know, the after effects of war with through fly fishing. And then it sort of, um, gravitated as I talked to my friend who served in Afghanistan and, um, sort of like, oh, you know, put these two guys together. One who's younger served in Afghanistan dealing with this, you know, PTS. And then this older guy who's basically doesn't even know what he's dealing with really from Vietnam. But, um. He he, you know, and he teaches the younger guy how to fly fish and the core of the story has always been there from you know ten years ago. Um to, to what you see on screen, basically the arc, you know, uh, culture. Yeah, yeah. culture and Ike has, has never changed. You know, characters have come and gone, story pieces have come and gone. Um, but that arc of these two guys connecting through fly fishing hasn't changed.
0: How much of your dad do you think ended up in Brian Cox? How when you watch it, do you do you see glimpses of your dad or dialogue that's reminiscent of your dad still, or just what, what was that like? How much of that still exists? Yeah,
1: no, he's nothing like my dad, and my dad had really. Uh, I would I wouldn't I you know I can't say he didn't have any pts issues, but nothing that I ever saw. Uh, he didn't basically didn't drink. Um, you know, was <laughs> nice to everybody um he I, the element that of him that is in the story it was he was a teacher it wasn't a teacher by trade although mm-hmm. he, that's what he got his degree and he was going to be a math teacher but he never did it um but he coached every team that i was ever on basically um he taught people who you know he'd get kids that had never played a sport before and for one season he turned them into like an all-star pitcher
0: huh. and then
1: they'd never play again or something like that um you know, so he was a great coach and a great teacher. So that, that aspect of him is, is in the story.
0: Did you see, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Did you think of this script as kind of, uh, an homage to your dad or, uh, you know, some way to honor him, or was it really about the story and about based off what you'd seen at the VA and based off of, your experiences with your friend from Afghanistan, like going, Hey, there's just an interesting story here that's worth telling. Or was it more of a personal thing to like go, hey, I really want to tell this for my dad?
1: I think there's a little bit of both in there. Okay. You know, um, obviously he passed away and you know, you want to honor him in, in some way. And um, uh, you know, he always encouraged me to, you know, write something of my own. I was, you know, I was a journalist by trade and I was always writing other people's stories and right. Um, you know, and he was always supportive of the screenplay stuff. Although, you know, they were the stuff we had I'd written before was more comedy, you know, kind of commercial, ha 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 kind of stuff. Right. Um, but you know, he was very encouraging of that, and always wanted me to to write a book or or something like that. So in that way, I you know, I hope it honors, you know, him and and show that you know I did learn you know, the lessons that he was trying to teach and stuff like that. And, but I also do, you know, I did want to, you know, my, um, my uncle served in Vietnam and, uh, he was spent 30 years in the Marines retired as a, a colonel. Um, my like I said, my good friend went to Afghanistan and, uh, you know, he's told me a lot of stories. My other cousin was in the Marines and served in the state department uh, as a special mm-hmm. agent for a long time. My other cousin, you know, was in the army. Um, and so, you know, I, I had seen these guys and, and the sacrifices they made and, and stuff like that. And I wanted to, I, you know, I wanted to write something that honored them. And, and you know, they didn't watch and go, oh, gosh, another guy writing another story doesn't know what he's talking about or, yeah. you know, got it all wrong. So um, there was a there was a big onus to get it right and to um, do those guys um, proud.
0: Did you talk to any of your family members before or during the writing? Any of those cousins, the uncle, your dad Uh, even?
1: I'd never talked to my dad about it that I can remember. I probably told him that I was writing it, um, Mm. but I don't think that I ever, by the time I finished it, I don't think he was in any shape to read it. Um, And But my uncle read it after I finished it and made some um, definite comments and stuff that I changed because of his like, um, you know his service in vietnam and as a vietnam vet who came back to you know a different world than you know what vets come back to now sure so i definitely took his advice and then my friend from afghanistan read it many times and um you know he was instrumental in getting a lot of the military um jargon correct and Mm -hmm. and the um initial um you know uh transition story of right. how you, how you come back, where you go, you know, who, who you're interacting with the VA and, um, and all that. So, um, you know, those guys are invaluable
0: to the story. You know, it's fine. I'm going to, I'm going to digress for one second, but I remember seeing, uh, that movie with De Niro and Cuba Gooding Jr. That one about the Navy divers, like came out like, you know, 10, Antoine, 15 years Antoine, ago. Antoine. Uh, no, it was the no. other one. It was, um, uh, it something. It had a very generic title. It was like, yeah, yeah, with honor or something like that. Anyway, I remember watching like three minutes of that while I was on a post in Texas, and going, "Oh my god, I don't!" It like didn't pass the smell test on any level, and that's I think always the first thing a vet looks for is that sense of credibility. I was really impressed with Cinqua. I thought that that to me was a make or break because you know what brian cox is going to be like you know you know that's a known quantity but with Cinque, I was like oh, all right let's let's see what this is like what did you think did, did that live up to your expectations of the character
1: oh yeah i thought he was great um you know he's he's got this charm about him that that yeah. sucks you in but he also has this this um strength that i think you know you expect from a, a marine and um And I think that his ability to, um, show emotion was a great thing. You know, I had a lot of people say like, you know, we only see one side of these guys, you know, it's that tough, you know, the, the tough exterior and, you know, to get to that sort of more emotional inner, inner inner world was, was really powerful. And in terms of getting him to be, you know, a Marine, obviously he hasn't served, he is a great athlete, uh, played, you know, basketball. So I think that was very helpful to him, but having the, um, the Marine entertainment liaison office, having, you know, Joe Patterson there, Phil Kendro, those guys who could say, that's not where you put your finger on, you know, <laughs> you know, on the trigger, you know, this yeah, is how you yeah. hold the rifle. Uh, well, know, what what
0: about that scene? What about that, that um, the scene that took me away was the uh, uh, group therapy scene. Cause I was like, dude, he's in there with real dudes. They're going through stuff. And like, how can there not be a little bit of imposter syndrome when you're sitting there, but he owned it. He like totally, he was right there. He was matching him emotion for emotion and being subtle with it and not being so over the top. I thought it was, I thought it was great. That's a dicey scene. I think for an actor, I think that's, that's dangerous territory.
1: Yeah. And I can't speak to, you know, his process in that scene. I, sure. I um, obviously Saul Martinez, who's in that scene, um, tells his real story. um, and it's very powerful. So I'm sure, you know, working off of that and getting to meet Saul previous to that, you know, seeming shot. Um, I know, you know, that was got to be inspiring to be, you right. have you know, real vet. there were real veterans in that that scene with him. Yeah. And, you know, we tried to get him connected to as many vets as possible. And, um, you know, a lot of that scene came out of information that we got from you know real vets you know this is what i went through in, in group therapy this is what they talked about you know this is what pissed me off um so we tried to put that into the script so it was there for him and then he could sort of make it his own which obviously he did you know i, I won't say what he does in the scene but that right. a lot of that that the action that he puts into it was him
0: you know that was not i good. was gonna say because you couldn't have scripted i mean like saul's piece about his own story obviously is his story Mm -hmm. But you didn't, I mean, did you plan any of that going in? Did you even just say, Hey, let's try to get a vet to tell their story here or how much of that was scripted in for you?
1: We had, I mean, I'd gone in and written something that was like, you know, I tried to take what some people had told me of their experiences, but when Josh was like, what, you know, we obviously wanted Saul involved who works for quiet waters, um, Um, involved in the film and and he's a great actor in his own right. He's done a lot of uh, productions and stuff like that. So we're trying to find a spot for him and, and Josh was like, well, what, what if he just tells his own story? Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, get rid of the script. (laughs) (laughs) You know uh, he's so charismatic in general, but when he's talking about that stuff, he's just, you
0: know, off the charts. Of course, of course. No. Yeah. hundred percent. I want to back up because your background is um, really interesting, especially considering Mending the line. I um, mean, so you were an editor at In Style Magazine. You wrote for ESP on the magazine, you wrote for Entertainment Weekly. Did you feel like mending the line was a complete gear shift in tone, in substance, in subject matter? I mean, was this were these stories that had kind of been was this a lane that you had wanted to go into for a long time? Or was this a a very conscious radical departure from what I imagine you had been writing? up until then
1: um to some degree in terms of like the drama aspect of it was definitely a departure for me um you know i had i had tried to write some short stories and stuff like that and they never came out right to me um you know i had i have a lot of education in um english literature irish literature i you know i studied in belfast uh studied poetry there you know i went uh did a summer in oxford a summer at trinity college in dublin and, you know, these places are just like the birthplace of great, you know, English language writing. Um, and I just never could live up to these people that I had studied for so long. And um, so, you know, that was that was a bit of a departure to try to write something dramatic and, and narrative in that sense. But I was also writing um, for a lot of fly fishing magazines and a lot of magazines um, about about yellow, you know, stuff about Yellowstone and in the, in the West um, so I think I was able to sort of take that aspect of it and bring it in. So it wasn't as daunting to like, you know, I don't know anything about this. Yeah, <laughs> At least I could bring yeah. an authenticity to the, you know, basically all the locations where, where I, you know, went to get a beer, where I fished, where I, you know, um, where I hung out. Um, so that was, you know, oh, that, I can write that. That's easy. All the fishing stuff. I knew, you know, I knew how to explain to someone how to, you know, cast a fly rod you know why you don't you know why i i practice catch and release so all that was you know real honest for me and then um you know the other dramatic stuff obviously you know going through my you know having heard my father's story or you know lived through that yeah you know, i was able to take elements of that and and bring that emotion into it so i think that was um made it made it a little more a little easier to try to craft a story than out of just like whole cloth to make up a sure. story about Victorian England or something like
0: that, you know? Um, So, yeah, let's talk about that, too, about the medium shift. Um, So when you had first started uh, writing screenplays, I mean, I I get that there was a practical element to that, but, I mean, that's a pretty big move to step away from the training you'd had, right, in poetry and, and literature, and then also the journalism background where, you know, I mean, why screenplays? Why Why did it not end up taking the form? Or, I mean, was it just because your friend got you involved in the screenplays and you were like, okay, I'm going to ride this horse until I can't ride it anymore? Yeah. Or did you think, was there is there still a part of you that's like the great American novel sitting there somewhere inside you and, and you're waiting for your opportunity to have complete creative control and do that? Um, or is screenplays really the, the medium that you love best?
1: I, I definitely love them. Um, I'm a big believer in thrift. As, you know, as, um, I, 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 you know, obviously as any fly fisherman, I love a river runs through it. And, you know, I can't remember how many pages it is, maybe 190 or something, but I think there's so much packed into that. And his dad, you know, there's the scene where he tells him, you know, do it again, this time, half as long, do it again, this time, half as long. I'm a big believer in that in writing. You know, I think the great Gatsby is a great example of that. Um, you know, again, what, 220 pages or, or whatever it is. Um. So I had always I think that was part of my problem that I always wrote, you know, so thriftly that it it never felt like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to fill up 400 pages of this? (laughs) Um, But that's what screenwriting is. You know, it's it's say as much as you can and as little as you can. And I'm still, you know, working on getting better at that as well. But, you know, whether there is a novel down the road, I don't know. But, you know, I do love the um, the. the, the medium of, of screenwriting, partly because of the co- collaboration, um, you know, as an editor, I love the aspect of like, you know, I was, I was mostly a research editor. So I I'd kind of find stuff and, and bring it to editors and they'd write it. And then the art would come in and they'd, you know, photography would come in and take pictures and then the art would come in and design it. And it's so you could see, like everybody had their hand in, in creating mm. this this one article and then the bigger magazine as a whole and I always love that aspect of it. And then it's film is very similar. Like you get the art, you know, you get the, um, you know, the directors kind of leading it. But you know, there's, clo- you know, there's costume, there's art, there's construction, you know, there's there's all these things. The actors, of course, and all these things that go into it. I love that aspect of like you know everybody brings their own thing to it, and it creates something
0: bigger than what was the
1: original idea
0: do you think there's uh do you think you've fallen in love even more with film as a medium and that just seeing that your work that the end result of your work will be on screen does that mean more to you now do you think than seeing it in print or is it neither here is that just off topic and me i think i
1: know i think but i mean like when i had my first thing published it it was huge and to see it in print and see my name there um it, you know felt amazing and just be able to again show it to my mom and dad or or whatever right, right. um you know that i did learn something in, in school and you know i you know when you're a freelance writer it's not always the the you know parents dream <laughs> um so you know be able to you know show them that and you know oh then here's the next article and the next one and sort of build off of that right and so at the end of that feeling of like yeah this was something that i wrote and now it's on screen is is amazing and to see it for the first time is you know kind of awe-inspiring and and um you know to see all these people what they did to to get your dream to where cross the finish line totally is, yeah. is just amazing um so you know i think i think you know I, i'm really addicted to that idea of it happening again and going through it again and this time using everything I've learned on this one and, and, yeah. you know, um, and sort of, you know, taking it to the next step
0: and the ne- next one, hopefully in the next one, but we'll see. Can, can you talk a little bit about just the, the shift that brought you to Montana? Cause that obviously it helped fuel the movie. Um, but that's, it, that seems to me like that would be a big life shift, big cultural shift, big career shift, uh, especially considering the publications you were working for it all seems like big city publications mm-hmm. with a, a very certain um, outlook and, and certain left and right limits of, of subject matter that you cover. Um, what did it mean for, why did you move to Montana and what did it mean when you moved there? Did it mean that you kind of could open your aperture on possible subjects and media that you would work in or would it, what it would just, what did that entail for you?
1: Uh, yeah. So Uh, We had, I grew up uh, fishing in New England um, around there and um, got into fly fishing probably around high school, though I really never learned to do it very well until probably after college. And um, I was very lucky The high school football coach uh, where I went to high school was a great fly fisherman and, and, you know, kind of took me under his wing. And um, so I was, you know, fishing around there and then um, my wife had grown up in the Chicago area but would drive out to Yellowstone every every summer mm-hmm. and she couldn't believe i had never been west of the Mississippi, Mississippi um and you know you know I obviously had heard about these amazing rivers the Yellowstone the Madison um and as a fly fisherman you, you just can't imagine till you come here how different it is and how amazing yeah. the fishing is so we came out and did a, a, a vacation to Yellowstone and I fished and we came out to Glacier and, and I fished out out there and um so we we had kind of gotten a, a little taste of it, and then um, during the economic downturn, we were both in publishing and um, was not the industry to be in, and um, sure. so our jobs were kind of disappearing. And, and we decided to take a little break, and we um, we and we had come out to Yellowstone. My my wife had joined an organization called uh, the Yellowstone Association. And they had sent out an email looking for volunteers to be snowed in at Old Faithful for the winter. Um, So you go in and you're at the hotel and you help people find out where they can ski and when time Old Faithful is going to go off. Um, So we got the job and we spent three months snowed in at Old Faithful. And um, a job is a loose term because we basically didn't get paid, but we did get room and board and we got to ski as much as we wanted to. And. Um, you know, we got to tour the park in the winter and see wolves and bison and it was just uh an amazing experience and um so we did that and we were probably going to move to Seattle or Denver or LA yeah. or something and um uh, my wife said that you know we did we did a winter you got to spend a, a summer in Yellowstone, you know if, if you're going to do it so we started working at this organization's bookstores, which is I, I wrote this script while standing at a counter at a bookstore um Wow. You know, in the morning there'd be nobody coming in and then there'd be a rush at lunch with all the tourists. And then at the afternoon, there'd be nobody there. So when nobody was there, I, I sat at the computer and, and wrote the script. Um, so it was, you know, a great, a great, I fished all, you know, when I wasn't working, I fished and we hiked and, um, soon my wife was moving up the ladder at this organization. She's now the chief marketing officer, uh, <laughs> And I decided to go back to freelancing and I had already had some work I'd done for, for magazines like fly rod and reel and field and stream. So I was able to start, you know, being in Montana, I was able to start writing more for, for those magazines and and have a little more cred in the fly fishing world. Sure. Uh, And so, and we just fell in love, you know, fell in love with the just the big skies and the yeah. the activity, you know, living in New York city in a, in a, basically a one bedroom apartment and going to a place where you could, you know, go out your door and walk into, you know, thousands of acres of, of emptiness and, and yeah. see wildlife and see, um, you know, go hiking and
0: camping and fishing was just, uh, such a big change that it made a huge impact on us. So I want to pick up on, on the writing piece. So you were standing at the desk, writing your script on spec. Right. I mean, there was nobody, I mean, this was completely just like, Hey, I'm just going to like, there's nobody's waiting for it. Why did you decide to write it as a screenplay then? What was the motive behind doing it as a screenplay, knowing that it was going to be on spec and it was going to go into that yawning abyss of spec screenplays where who knows what will ever happen with it.
1: Yeah. I started to write it more as a novella and it just, I just couldn't, I, I, I don't know. I just came to a point where it didn't seem to be working for me. And I had written those screenplays before, and I was doing some reading of screenplays for a production company I had started in New York, um, you know, reading scripts and writing coverage where you, you know, basically a mm-hmm. book, book report on the script. And I was doing it for this other company, and I thought the scripts that I was reading stunk. <laughs> it really, for the most part, you know, there was one or two good ones that would come through but i was like gosh if this these are getting to a production company and they're having me read them to see if they're going to make them like i could write something and this was also during the time where you know i had grown up in the era of kevin smith um you know making clerks uh you know all those guys doing their you know making their own movies the you know all, although goodwill hunting wasn't made you know it got to be a, a bigger right. film it was those two guys who wrote it to make it you know and be it be in it um so i was like oh i'll just write this and i'll just shoot it i live here we'll shoot it in montana go down to the river and it, you know obviously <laughs> i didn't realize what went into all of it and uh, but you thought that. you were
0: going to shoot it you thought you yeah. would direct it
1: well wow. yeah i figured okay. hey you know kevin smith can do it and all these guys can do it for five hundred thousand. you know whatever they were well, richard
0: link later shot his yeah, first exactly. movie on like nothing right yeah, yeah yeah right
1: you hear those stories and um it's interesting you know in new york there's so much people so many people doing like they're making movies they're doing this but you're such a small fish in in that big pond um then moving here i'm like oh you know i'll just get a bunch of people together and we'll do it here and it'll be still much easier than in new york where no like no one would care about this because it's so small um so yeah that was sort of the idea and then um like i said i would i sat you know this old it was an old bathroom they turned into a bookstore it was probably eight by ten and nobody would come in the morning um so i just sit there and i you know i drive to work uh Oh gosh, what is it? Like 17 miles through the park. And I would see wolves. i saw grizzly bears. Um, and it was just, you know, if you want to get inspired, (laughs) that's, that's the thing.
0: I I was going to say like, that's, I mean, as a native New Yorker, um, you know, I, I know how important that environment is to fuel the kind of stories that you get when you're a New Yorker, like you're going to write about city stuff to be out there. Where no one's writing screenplays in the middle of the woods like that, that must have been really freeing for you to look around and go, wow, I've got literally virgin territory, both literally and then creatively that you can mine, that you can dive into. Uh, Did you feel like creatively you were just really inspired and really turned on by being out there?
1: Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I never, you know, other than A River Runs Through It, I'd never really seen, you know, and I guess the horse was for anything shot, you know, in Montana. Yeah. It's become much popular now. Sure. But, um, you know, I'm like, you gotta, you know, again, going back to Kevin Smith, like, no way had shot a movie just in a, you know, in a um, convenience store. Like, you know, obviously, you're thinking like, yeah, how am I going to separate myself? Right. you know these other places and other stories and all these films that are being made so i definitely um you know saw that avenue as a way like okay you know maybe i can't make the indie and in, you know like the the ed burns indie in new york city right. he, he sort of dominated that right. um you know so maybe i can do you know i can be the montana guy not knowing that there obviously there were guys doing that here and and making
0: great indies sure and what did you think as far as financing did you did you run into a brick wall that made you start to look outside your own capabilities or did you just start to get smart on it ahead of time and go, Hey, I need to get financing for this. I need to start looking for other ways of manifesting this thing. Cause I can't do it all myself.
1: Yeah. I, I came to sort of the conclusion. I knew nothing about making a movie um, huh. and knew nothing about directing or any of that. Um, but I did know a guy uh, I went to Villanova with uh, Nick Stagliano, who's a director. I'd met him in New York. And so I said it to him and he's like, I'll make this. He told me, you know, basically he would, he would direct it. Um, obviously that, that didn't happen, but that was sort of the impetus. Like, oh, I could get this to someone who knows what they're doing. And it's good enough that someone like him, who's made, you know, movies had gone to Sundance and um, he just made a movie uh, with Anthony Hopkins. Like, you know, if somebody like that thinks it's good enough. Then that's good enough, you know, good enough to try to send it out. So I started sending it out and, try to formulate a plan of, of what to do. And I got it to another, um, the agent of an actor who wanted to make it. And for a year, they tried to sort of put something together and and raise money. And then, um, you know, we couldn't do it. Couldn't figure, really figure it out. I didn't think they were the right guys to to make it. After that, I got some help. I had met some people here, um, a director named Richard Gray, um, who lives in Montana and he read it and he's like, you know, this, this definitely could be a movie. You should, you know, try to give me some advice. And then a, mm-hmm. a woman here is a, a local producer named Jerry Rafters. Like you should apply for the grant. And I was like, what grant? <laughs> and wow. she's like, they're, they're trying to bring, you know, productions here to Montana. They're giving grants to people with, you know, projects, you know, I'll te- I, and she really talked me through the application process and uh, I was very lucky to get a grant. It wasn't a huge amount of money, but it was enough that I had a stamp of approval um you know from someone in the industry and in, in the state of montana and some money behind it and uh you know with that we were able to sort of i was i started querying you know rich veterans and rich fly fishermen if they want to be a part of this and right and luckily some of them wrote back and and one of them was kind enough to to become a producer so executive producer
0: but this was all your hustle i mean you were doing this with representation you were doing this with advocates out there pushing on your behalf. This was all generated from you, right?
1: Um, yep. Up until the grant. Yeah. I I did it all. And and even going out asking for the money. Um that was all me. And then, you know, after the grant, Kelly McKenzie came on board and she actually went out and met with the the guys who would become the executive producers um and and put in a large portion of the budget. And so yeah, it was it was me up until you know a long time and then obviously once you get a little help it it yeah. you know, moves things along a lot quicker
0: and how many years was this from flash to bang how how well, once the script was actually completed and you started sending it around how long did it take for it to get made
1: um from the grant it was a couple years um but pre-grant probably 5 or 6 years of you know
0: from when Nick read it to the grant wow you know i mean do you feel like you built muscles going through that that you're like that now you could shorten that timeline or you have a better mo for how to go about doing getting a film made i mean do you feel like just you're you're that much savvier on the process now or is it all disposable is it like well that worked for that movie but there's no guarantees about what would work for the next one
1: well th- yeah i i think you're right on on that that every every movie is different every th- financing model is different um i think i definitely learned a lot um you know in terms of you know how to get it to people how to get you know how to raise money and stuff like that and you know i definitely think i could shorten the window on the next one but you know the next one is not going to be about fly fishing it's probably got you know probably not going to be about veterans or or something like that and you know whether whether it's set in montana or not that's you know i i've written some stuff that is set here so that's a possibility, but you know, without Montana and the grant without the support of the veterans without the support of the fly fishing community, all of which are incredibly, you know, the people who love that stuff are incredibly passionate, yeah. you know, it makes it a lot harder, if, you know, um, you're just shooting some thriller and can be filmed anywhere and doesn't have, you know, connections to the stuff people are passionate about. So, you know, it's going to be hard no matter what. So.
0: Am I right that you're that you just completed another film called The Push?
1: No, so that was a, okay. a film I wrote with the guy in New York. Okay, um, and that that was the film that got us our agent, and um, it took another one that took a long time to get made, and it was made by a friend of ours in L.A. who uh, was looking for a script to, to shoot you know on uh you know in a small budget closer to that kevin smith mm-hmm. kind of thing yeah yeah he shot it himself he shot it with all his his friends in la who were you know actors and dps and working other their stuff and they shot it sort of in between all their other jobs and um you know um and they you know they had a great time doing it and um you know i think it's up on amazon now but um that so that sort of was finished before this huh. but it um you know did, it, you know, it obviously is, um, a little smaller budget and a little different kind of film. So, um, you know, but it was a great, it was, you know, the first thing I ever wrote and it was great to write it with, uh, Brian and, and see it come to
0: life. Well, I was going to say, I mean, yeah, now that's, I mean, that's really going back. That's, you know, 13, 15 years ago and you're going, and now that comes out after mending the line. I mean, that's incredible, you know, that the stamina it takes to get something onto the screen.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, and you know, something's, you know, there's great scripts out there that never get made. So I've been lucky, um, in, in both regards. And yeah, I mean, you, I guess somebody has said that no, no good script is ever dead, but you know, it's so hard to get it to the screen that,
0: um, you know, that you can't even rely on it ever getting made. Did you ever see that movie mistress with Robert wool? De Niro produced it in like the early nineties. Anyway, it was all about getting a, a movie shot in LA and it was, um, basically the, the three producers are only interested because they want to get their girlfriends into the movie, and so it becomes shenanigans, and it's funny and all that. But there's one point in, in it—the the kind of the one of the the cynical morals of the story—is they say, you know, there's a certain respect you get even if the movie is a piece of shit. There's a certain respect you get because you got it made. Mending the line is certainly not a piece of shit. So let me stipulate <laughs> that. But for you, I mean, now you've had two movies that have come out relatively recently. Are you seeing a boost from that? Are you seeing a a certain kind of respect that you get and that your calls are returned quicker? You're taken a bit more seriously. You're you, there's, you know, more possibilities open to you or is it still too soon to tell?
1: I think it's, it's too soon to sell uh, too soon to tell. It's uh, I mean, I'm still hustling. Um, You know, I'm not, I'm not represented. Um, You know, definitely the people that I have reached out to are like, wow, I cannot believe you got a movie. You got (laughs) You know, you know, the, especially, the, you know, the people I had c- connected with before, they're like, I'm so happy you got this made, you know, I, I can't believe you actually, you know, you did actually, you know, I can't say I did it, you know, there was so many people involved that, um, but, you know, there, people are just mystified that you get a movie made at this point. Um, right. So, you know, I've gotten a lot of, you know, congratulations off of that. And, you know, definitely the people I've written to have written back and said, you know wow it's it's amazing um congratulations what a cast you know yeah. people that have seen it have been very complimentary but um you know we we don't have a distributor as of yet um sure. we haven't sold it so i'm hoping that you know when it comes out i do get that bump but i'm going to have to make that bump myself i think i'm going to have to you know make those connections reach out to people um you know connect with people keep writing stuff that you know people like and and want to make so
0: what's burning in you What's next for you? What, what's the story that – do you have stories that you want to tell next? Or is it like, hey, I got a back burner, my own personal story, the, the personal stories that I'd really like to tell because I think this is a smarter – there's a smarter story to tell right now or something that more, is more commercial or could get made easier. You know, just what's your thought process of the next project?
1: Um, there's a you know a couple couple avenues there's definitely I want to continue working with this um uh, this idea of the the military stories you know I think I've made mm-hmm. some amazing connections in that world from again the uh the Marine Corps the their the entertainment liaison office so there's two stories um there's one about Vietnam obviously uh has a you know a bittersweet place in my heart, I guess yeah, you'd say. Yeah, sure, sure. I, after my dad's, you know, diagnosis and, and passing, I, I've read a lot of different stories about it. And actually the, the guy who was in Vietnam told me the story of, um, you know, John Ripley, who's a Marine who who blows up a bridge in, in, Viet, in Vietnam. And he has the help of obviously a, a band of uh, South Vietnamese Marines and uh, another guy named um, Jerry Turley who wrote a book, and I have the rights to that book. Wow. And, um, you know, actually interesting story is the guy who was in, in the same room with Turley, who was giving commands, uh, his name is, uh, Joel Eisenstein and his daughter is Neely Eisenstein, who was the casting director of mending the line. So I was like, I, you know, wow. when she came on board, I'm like, wow. that name is sounds really familiar. There's a guy in one of my scripts who's, who has the same last name. We find out it was her, it was her dad. Um, so, you know, I'd love to get that story off the ground and I've, I've, you know, sent the script to the Marine Corps and they love it. And, um, and then there's another story about the first Chinese American Marine who actually fought the Chinese in Korea. Um, so it's, he was, um, you know, highly decorated, but also dealt with a lot of discrimination. Um, so I think it'd be an amazing story to tell, um, you know, and, and again, the Marine Corps would is very behind these stories and, and would love to see them made. Um, so I'm working with them and, uh, you know, trying to find people who are just as passionate as I am about
0: telling them. Well, and it's also the credibility. As I said, like the fact that your work passed the smell test so easily, that's a real feather in your cap, I think, for telling military stories that you've shown that you have the bona fides to go, yeah, I can, I can tell this and it's not going to, you know, it's going to be, commercially, it's going to hit a, a civilian audience correctly, but it's also passing the smell test from the military. I think that's huge. I think that's something that not a lot of writers have.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think it I'm, comes from my research background and just listening to, you know, what people have to say, like, you know, veterans, guys who are there, you know, obviously, um, you know, if Mending the Line is passing the smell test, it's a lot because of the, the Marines that, you know, were there on the ground in Camp Pendleton, our, you know, liaisons, the guys that we talked to who, you know, told us their stories. Mm-hmm. So it's just being, you know, true to those people. It's not, it's not me. I mean, I can, you know, hopefully write an action scene that, you know, captures the, you know, the, what's going on, you know, in a war, but I can't, I, I didn't live it. So I have to really rely on what, you know, but I think it's within. that
0: sensitivity though, isn't it? It's the sensitivity, it's the ability to listen, the ability to have an ear for dialogue and an ear for word choice and the semantics. I think that's the biggest part of it. Cause like, I think, I think Jerry Bruckheimer can do an action scene. Like anybody can do an action scene. Um, I think, but I think it's that this, those quiet moments where, and, and the dynamic between characters. And that's why I thought was impressive was I kept waiting to go. Okay. Yep. I'm out. All right. Lost <laughs> me. You know? And it was like, wow, no, that really, that went. And, and I thought I I, I want to, commend you for one other thing i i imagine there was a very commercially viable way for that to become a love story to, for mending the line to become a love story that you i mean spoiler alert that you avoid mm-hmm. what, um so sorry i complimented you and without letting you respond to that i'm just gonna ask what was the thought behind avoiding the love story and not going down the predictable path with that
1: well you know there were times where I thought about it and, you know, there were people who made notes like, oh, they got to, you know, this has got to be more of, you know, this love story between these two sure. two characters. But I mean, that wasn't the, that wasn't the, the you know, the theme or the, you know, what the, the story we're trying to tell, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's about everybody sort of has to find their own journey, you know, has to go on their own journey and, um, you know, there's no easy solution to these, these problems, these people are dealing with this trauma, this loss. And I thought, you know, that if you try to, you know, make it a hap- happy ending in that regard, like you, you take away some of her agency, as Josh has said, and you also, you know, take away the lesson of you have to do this hard work to, you know, overcome this. This is not easy. This is not solved by like you know, a kiss on the cheek or, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, something like that. This is, this is hard work and you got to make hard decisions to do it. And I think they both make hard decisions, but the best decisions for themselves in the end. And I think that was sort of what the story we wanted to tell.
0: I think there was a lot of integrity in leaving the story bittersweet too, that it wasn't just all nicely, neatly wrapped up with a bow. I thought that was really smart and savvy. Um, dude, this is a, uh, I'm really excited to see what you come up with next. I, I mean, personally, I hope you stay with a lot of military stories. That God knows there's thousands of freaking great ones out there. Um, but I was I just personally, I was so impressed with how you were able to tell that story with integrity. And as I say, um, there's the believability um, is, is, is uh, the believability with art. You know, uh, not just you know being a documentarian, but 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 really artistically rendering something. That, that um, strikes the veteran community in the right place. I have to imagine that I, I really do think the the movie should move the needle in, in some way, shape, or form. You've got, as you said, two very passionate communities behind it. Um, I can't imagine that somebody doesn't pick that up for distribution, knowing how much the veteran community is focused on PTS and treatment options. Um, I I, I just, I I think there's a real growth. uh, I I think you have a lot of growth stock, you know, uh, continuing to write military stories based off that.
1: Well, I appreciate that. And yeah, and I think, I mean, I, you know, you said like, you know, people watching it and stuff like that, like, as long as the veterans are cool, you know, are cool with it, um, you know, it doesn't matter how many people see it. For me, I mean, obviously, I want I wanted to reach the biggest audience think it could, could have a positive impact. And, you know, I, I wanted to to make money and and all that stuff. But yeah. really, like so far, we've had, you know, these two screenings at Woodstock and San Diego. And, you know, all the, the veterans who've come up to me have been positive And that's that's the biggest thing to me. You know, that 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 like you said, you don't turn it off after two minutes because we screwed up you know, what, what uniform, uh, some is wearing, or, you know, they say something that they would never say, or that in the end, after you've watched it, like it rings true and, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't piss you off or, you know, anger that community. So that, that is the one, the biggest, the most important thing too. Yes. I hope it, you know, reaches a, an audience a, in, in a way that, you know, does something positive for them and, and shows somebody like, Hey, yeah, maybe it's not fly fishing. Maybe it's it's surfing or woodworking or mm-hmm. uh, you know weightlifting or you know you, you find something that you know takes you out of your head and and gives you a little peace and and that leads to something you know bigger changes over time and and finding your community, your uh, I guess it's tribe. Yeah, we, we've been talking about that. You know, Sebastian Younger book of you know yeah. once, once you leave, you need to find you know where you belong again. And and I hope that this you know shows a path.
0: Uh, no, I I think it does, and I think it'll resonate uh, really strongly in the community. If that's if that's the the number one metric of success that you have, I think it's easily going to hit that. I think it's really a powerful piece. I do want to ask you about two quick things. First off, I I totally forgot to mention. To me, when I talked about passing the smell test, one of the biggest scenes to me, or group of scenes, in the movie, uh, for me was a uh, syncop well with uh, Patricia Heaton. I thought that was really beautifully written. She was phenomenal in it. She was so believable in that. And the words, the the dialogue, the script backed that up so much. That was that was to me something that was ripe for fucking up. That was so <laughs> that was so easy. That there's so many traps, I think, with that. I thought those scenes to me, those were the ones that really um I, I those really sucked me in. I thought those were phenomenal. Just FYI. That's just my two cents.
1: Well, I did speak we did speak to the VA and and um we did talk to some doctors and and you know um you know some of the higher ups in the in the VA um about you know sort of the process that he would go through and then you know what her role would be and she also you know she called me up and she's like tell me about this character what's what's her deal what does she do and then I know she went and spoke to some VA doctors herself so I mean a lot of that is is her being just a great actor, you know, a, a great, you know, knowing her role, researching it, diving into it. Um, you know, obviously, you know, she's been doing this for years and and knows sure. exactly what she's doing and then again, the, the support that we've gotten from the VA, from the military, from the Marines um has, you know, given it an authenticity that um, you know, some of it we tried to put into the script and, and we, you know, did my research and, and took as much as I could from that aspect. But hearing from the actual people who live it and do it, it just, you know, it's just tweaks here and there that that really, you know, change the game.
0: I want to ask you also about um, I, I completely skipped over Word quiet waters um, and, and what's going on with them and how you got roped in. But I think first, let's just talk about their involvement in the film itself. So you brought them on as consultants relatively early on right
1: yeah so i'll I'll sort of go back um my daughter (laughs) went to a preschool here in in montana and um saul martinez his daughter was in the same class and so saul um lost both his legs um in a um I guess uh, I think believe it was a Humvee, but I I don't want to you know speak out of turn. But in a, um, in an attack in in um, in Iraq, um, you know he I think believe two other people in or two two of his buddies or three of his buddies were um, killed. You know at that same time, he uh, ends up coming to Montana to do um, a, an FX, which is a fishing expedition with warriors in quiet waters. Um, which is an organization that takes post 9-11 combat vets fishing, helps them deal with their trauma. Uh, a lot of them are, are wounded. A lot of them are have, um, you know, mental um, PTS that they're dealing with, uh, physical and and mental injuries, I guess you would say, or wounds. Um, so he now runs their fishing operations. And so I had seen him at my daughter's uh, preschool, and, um, and you know seeing the the sticker on his truck and i had never heard of the organization this is long after i'd written the script hmm. um and i sort of was like oh that's interesting you know we, i started digging into this organization found out what they were doing found that they were basically doing it here on the rivers that are in um the the script and so when we got to the point where um you know we started you know putting a team together i was like you know i got to talk to this guy and just find out his story and and find out more about this organization so i met saul um met emily um and stevie who runs their communications and um you know they were just amazing people doing amazing work and um so fast forward we're we're, you know doing our scout trip and we've talked to them a bunch of times about what they do and, and and who they do it with and they invited Josh and I to go fishing with a group of their vets. And so we went to Depew Spring Creek, met some of the guys that were there and they were gracious enough to let two of their, um, graduates, guys who had come done the program and then come back and now we're helping as volunteers. And they really took us through that. They sat us down and basically said, this is where I was at. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. one of the guys is, you know, I had a gun in my mouth. I was, Doing drugs, cheating on my wife, this or that. Um, the other guy, you know, they're both trying to get back into the military. They they had lost their, you know, one of them had lost um, his post because of his his wounds and basically the the PTS he was dealing with. And um, bas- you know, he sat down and were just honest with us and said, you know, coming here and going fly fishing really changed everything for me. It just made you know changed their perspective on on life and helped them start their healing healing process. So after hearing that, we, we we took a lot of what they told us and put it in the script, but also yeah. said, you know, we got to work with this organization and find a way to um, get them into the story. And so there was an ending where, you know, Coulter goes fishing with a bunch of vets. And we just said, like, we got to make that, um, you know, Warriors and Quiet Waters. And they were great to us. We, we used their facility. Um, we used... Um, some of their vets in the, in the story and, 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 in, in you know, that's real vets in the, in the, in the yeah. filming. And obviously Saul come, came in and, and was part of the, the, the story and, and, you know, he's an actor in, in the film now. And um, yeah, we're, we're hoping to raise money for them through the film and um, just an amazing organization, amazing people doing great work.
0: What would it have meant had you never crossed paths with them? Do you think, how do you think the script would have suffered? How do you think the movie would have suffered?
1: um i mean i don't know if it would have suffered obviously you know being able to tell people like this this is a real thing people are out there doing you know this if if you watch this and you want to go do this there are places you can do it i Mm -hmm. think that means Mm -hmm. a huge thing to a lot of people you know just you know it's one thing to be working in a vacuum like oh how am I going to go learn to fly fish? I don't live in Montana. You right. know, I, you know, right. I'm just, and so there are these organizations out there that are doing this. I think that's huge for people to know and to be able to point to quiet waters as one of them is is amazing. Obviously without having Saul, um, in that, you know, therapy scene would, would take a lot away yeah. from the film. Yeah. Um, and just having not heard the stories from those guys, I think, um, which influenced, you know, parts of the script would have, would have changed it a little bit. I I think we, we still would have told the same story, but I think, you know, now we're connecting with, you know, a little bit more reality that, that that's in there. I think, um, just kicked it up a notch.
0: It's a hell of a movie, man. Um, really, um, I was so glad to be able to see it. Uh, it meant a lot. Um, really, did not want to come down and see you and Josh after because I like teared up pretty substantially yeah. at three different points. And I was like, I'm a bit of a mess right now. So uh, it was a really hell of a piece. And um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see where you go from here and what your next projects are. Um, really a pleasure. Stephen, tell everybody where they can uh, follow you, find out what you're working on, um, any social, any website, stuff like that that people should know about.
1: Oh uh, yeah, I got a website. It's uh dot com. Um, I'm on Instagram at Stevie Cams. Uh, that's you know I'm not the big, the biggest social guy in the world, um, but yeah, if you you know you can hit me up uh, through my website if you want anyone wants to talk. Uh, you know I'm always looking for for stories to tell or people to connect with. I love I love the research aspect of of writing. I love uh, interviewing people. I've done a lot of uh, celebrity fly fishing interviews. <laughs> Uh, you know, one of them was uh, G- General Norman Swart- Um oh. So, you know, there's that military aspect. I love, um, you know, hearing stories from vets and, um, you know, fly fishermen or, or anybody who really has a great story and, and wants to tell it. And there are different ways to get it out there. Like, you know, I still do some journalism writing and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm always open to connecting with people and, and
0: hearing other people's stories. Yeah, your byline just became a lot thicker after these movies, too, right? Yeah, it's like, and I got a whole bunch more stuff there. Um, Steve, this is great. I really appreciate it. Uh, Come back and talk to us again. Let us know how things are going.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. Thanks for the time and uh, thanks for doing this. I think you're you're you're, uh, you know got a great avenue to get these stories out there and uh, connect with the right people.
0: Well, it's not a you know major league motion picture, but you know we do what we can. Yeah, Uh, this is great, man. Thank you. That was The Savage Wonder of Stephen Um I, I really look forward to talking to Steve again. I can't wait to see the other movies he comes up with. I think it's very cool that he's looking for military-themed stories to tell. Not like they're not done a lot, but there's a reason why they're done. There's a lot of cool stories out there that are underreported, undercovered, unknown, and uh, it's great to have somebody uh, with Steve's background and track record of writing good three-dimensional military-based characters uh, looking for those stories. So that'll be very, very cool to keep our eye on. Okay. Shameless plugs, things that need to be mentioned and discussed and talked about. Okay. November 11th. Yep. Because this episode will air before this date. All right. November 11th uh, in Old Town, Alexandria, Virginia, the very first Savage underground event will be happening. Uh, at the Principal Gallery on King Street. Go to SavageWonder.com for all the details. Again, that's SavageWonder, all one word, .com for details, SavageWonder.com. And you will hear about what Savage Wonderground is and why we're doing it there and what this particular Savage Wonderground event entails. But I'll break it down for you right now. So Savage Wonderground is basically the second-order effect of our Savage Wonder Festival of veterans in the arts that we did this past Memorial day weekend is basically breaking down the festival to a micro festival slash immersive theater concept where we take veterans in various artistic media. In this case, in this first one, it's going to be poetry, uh, classical singing and art uh, painting. And we put them into a show that has a theme or a narrative or some sort of arc so that it's not simply an open mic, it's an immersive theater experience. And doing it at the Principal Gallery in Old Town, Alexandria, which has been phenomenal to work with. I just can't say enough good things about Michelle and her staff there. <clears throat> it's a world-class gallery. Uh, they don't need me to plug it. Um, but but they certainly, um, I th- and, and so I expect a high level of awesomeness from them just on that. But the, way, but the particular um, kindness that they've shown us the helpfulness that they've demonstrated to us has just been epic. Really, really grateful for that. So the layout of the principal galleries, what kind of inspired this particular show, because it's two townhouses that are adjoining and the show is going to move between three rooms spanning the two townhouses. So in each room, there'll be a painting done by invader girl who's been on this show. And, uh, with each painting will be, uh, another artist. There'll be uh, Dex, who also has been on the show. There will be and obviously a poet, former Marine, there'll be Buck Bolliard who also has been on the show and a writer. And then there'll be a uh, Jesus Daniel Hernandez, who of course has been on the show. Uh, the Placido Domingo protege, and they will each be interpreting each of these paintings uh, as they see fit. Um, the general kind of loose theme we have for this is, If is, if, if this was me, so what is that? If they were the, the character in the painting, what is it they're going through? And obviously this is happening on veterans day. So we're making it a very veterans day themed show where they are talking about combat experiences. Um, some not always no shit there. I was stories. Sometimes it's going to be off the wall stuff, um, completely counterintuitive stories, but I think it'll be really, really cool. Um, and this is the first one. So we're trying to be a little conservative, a little on the nose with what our expectations are for it. It will probably get more and more funky and more and more immersive and crazy um, as we go on. But this one, it felt like an appropriate way to um, put an artistic spin on Veterans Day and add a different dimension to the normal Veterans Day celebration. So that's going to be very cool. I'm really excited about that. Again, if you want tickets, they're 20 bucks a pop All the proceeds are split evenly between us and the performers. I think that's worth saying. This is not an open mic. This is for professional artists, and we pay them accordingly. So come on out and support it. We'd love to see you guys out there. SavageWonder.com is the easiest way to get tickets. It'll link to our Eventbrite, and then you can get your tickets through there. But SavageWonder.com, all one word, SavageWonder.com. There are other things to plug, but why bother? That was a pretty long plug. And I appreciate that you guys even had the stamina to stick around for as long as you have. So I will wrap it up without much too much further ado. I need to thank our producer, Mike Neal, as always. Um, If you want to see anything else that we're doing at at Veterans Repertory Theater, as always, go to vetrep.org. Obviously, savagewonder.com is is specific for our Savage Wonder lines of effort, but um, vetrep.org, you can hit everything every line of effort we have at vetrep.org again that's vetrep.org vetrep.org and um yeah you'll see everything that i'm not plugging right now but that's okay you'll get the gist of it um okay i think that's everything i have i'm christopher paul meyer on behalf of veterans repertory theater see you next time when we'll dive further into the savage wonder of it all